0: Today with DeAndre, who is going to be my guest for the spooky episodes, and yes, this is season two of Rambler, and yes, this is a little bit different than what we did last season. But COVID changed a lot of things, and this year has truly been a wild ride. So sometimes we all go to adapt and do different stuff, and uh, I still wanted to keep telling stories. So this is how we're going to do it. Uh, I'm Jordan Marika, and. This is Rambler, and in a second, I'm going to be calling my friend DeAndre so that he can tell us a spooky travel story. All right, I'm very excited because I love hearing other people's spooky stories, and I did just hit record, so you know. And so, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Of course. So, my name is DeAndre Smiles. I am a citizen of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, and I am a postdoc at the Ohio State University. O-H! I-O.
0: I grew up in Columbus, so it's basically um, in my blood that if I hear OH yelled in a public place, it's a knee-jerk reaction at this point. I can't even help it.
1: I'll be honest with you. That was one of the things that I had to get used to when I started at at Ohio State, is I would would go home to Minnesota to visit my then-girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I would be walking around wearing my OSU sweatshirts and I'd be in the Mall of America and I'd hear p- people go OH and at first like it caught me by surprise I was like well I- I oh and now it's it's automatic so yeah it, once you kind of get used to it it's it is like that kind of knee, knee jerk you just know what to do right away
0: yeah and I've moved away and come back so there's always like a weird adjustment period especially because now I live in like a small town in Ohio not in Columbus so nobody here really cares so when I go back to visit It's a culture shock because I was living in Kentucky, you know, rural Kentucky, and nobody there cared about OSU. So it's, it's funny now because when I've had friends who moved to Ohio, to Columbus specifically, and have that happen to them, they're like, it's weird. And I'm like, no, it's normal, but now that I have the reverse effect, it is alarming to just get hollered at in a public place about a state that you live in.
1: It is. It is really, really weird. I think the strange thing is in Minnesota, there are a fair amount of OSU alumni, like people that moved that were from the Twin Cities that went to Columbus for school and came back or people that moved to Minnesota for work. So it, it, it happens commonly enough that I, you know, it doesn't really phase me. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really happen anyplace else, which is, I guess it just really speaks to just kind of how unique Ohio is.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we are the heartland. We love being Midwestern. There's a lot of really dopey songs about Ohio that I play on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really think I was going to be such an Ohio stan until I moved other places and was like, you know, comparatively, it ain't that bad there. I gotta give it something.
1: No, not at all. No, I mean, Minnesota's my my home state, and it's, it's my favorite place on the face of the planet, but... You know, living living in Columbus here for, for the last four years, it, it really has grown on me. My wife and I really, really enjoy living in Ohio. and We're, we're kind of proud to at least be citizens here in Columbus.
0: Yeah, and uh, I don't know whether or not you've had a chance to go on any of the cool hikes around here, but if you ever need recommendations, I know, I mean, my dad did a lot of land stewardship and stuff through his horticulture degree at Kent State, so I know a lot of stuff about, weird wood spots here and uh cool facts because we have hawking hills and if you haven't had a chance to visit that whole entire area is just full of some really amazing glacial land formations and a lot of really beautiful hikes so yeah if you ever need any um explore ohio tips i got them all
1: I will definitely have to let you know. I think the Hocking Hills has been on our list for a while now. We've we've gotten on a couple drives down there, down through the Hocking Hills and around Athens, but I don't think we've ever actually gotten out of the car and done hiking yet, and that's been that's been on our list. Maybe something, once this pandemic dies down a little bit, we'll be able to get outside and stretch our legs a little bit.
0: Yeah, that is the thing, isn't it? That's uh, why I ended up not going to Alaska. Is I was like, you know, there's a lot of vulnerable people between me in alaska and i could carry a lot of germs so i guess i need to stay in the house but it's hard i'm bored as hell
1: it's it's tough for us too I one of the things that we're talking about is my my wife is from north dakota so we're planning on trying to get back home after thanksgiving when osu goes um, completely online and in instruction she's still she's finishing a doctorate at ohio state mm-hmm. right now and we're we're, we're constantly talking about we're we're looking at the news and we're thinking well where are these hot spots at what do we need to do before we get in the car and drive 900 miles like we have to we're gonna have to get tested before we go and then be really super careful about when we get out of the car and if we we have to stop halfway because we have a cat and we have to figure out how to be safe in the hotel room it's 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 kind of a high high risk situation but it's something that we're trying to figure out because oh man we we really want to get home be up there and actually see snow on the ground and and feel the the sub-zero temperatures, it's really surprising when you haven't seen home for months, the, the weird things that you'll start missing about it.
0: Yeah, when I moved to Kentucky, I was definitely driving back and forth just to see Ohio things for the comfort of it, you know, so I have been all over the country, and I think all of the country is super beautiful, but for some reasons, I really like and been comforted by this hella flat state. and it's it's just like when you live in Kentucky and everything is pressure and humidity and there's no real snow sometimes you just want to see the snow and also wind is surprising when you live in the middle of the mountains you don't feel a lot of wind and then you're real surprised by it when it's back again Mm -hmm. so yeah I empathize because I'm feeling real cooped up but you haven't even been able to visit your family in a long time and that would really suck
1: yeah, it's really tough. I mean, luckily, we live in an, live in an age with FaceTime, and so we're able to, and obviously, you know, a cell phone, so we can we can talk to them, but it'll just be really nice to even just be, be home and see family, even if it's socially distanced, um, and just kind of be back up there for, for a month or so. So we're, fingers crossed, hopefully hopefully this, this kind of surge that we're in doesn't pan out into a second wave and we can actually get home.
0: Yeah, I hope that people are just reasonable so that, uh, yeah, we can... I know that we're going to have to adjust our lives after this because nothing could really be the same after such a large event. But if we act within reason, then we can start to live our lives again. And that would be so nice for people because I feel like a lot of people have been super, super isolated. And that's incredibly hard in so many ways. Like, not just professionally, but mental health-wise and with your relationships. Like, it's just hard to be a person when you can't have any independence.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's one of those things where... You know, I really feel that it's you know we have to make these short-term sacrifices so that we can go back to li- maybe you know living a semblance of, of normal life, which who knows what normal is going to look like in in a in a world where COVID is going to be present. But you know, I think that's just a really tough thing. And I, I mean, I empathize with people that are that are struggling. I mean, I I was I was home doing fieldwork for my dissertation when Ohio State asked students to. Um, go home or in my case they they said well there's no more sponsored travel so I had to kind of make sure that I spent time there because I was like well who knows when I'm going to get to see this again at the time I thought well maybe it'll be in a couple of months this will all kind of blow over and I'll be able to go back home and now that was that was almost exactly seven months ago Mm -hmm. today and you know we're hoping to go home here in about a month and a half and like as I said we're we're constantly watching the news with anxiety we're like are we going to be able to be able to make this trip work because we want to we want to be safe but we also recognize that you know we have an obligation to keep our family safe and keep people around us safe and keep the people in the communities that we're traveling through safe so it's kind of one of those things as a geographer i absolutely love traveling like road trips like that are are my favorite thing in the world but you know there there are more important things than than road trips right now i think
0: Absolutely. And when I was listening to people who were who were living on reservations talking about how national parks were not supporting shutting down the routes through their communities, that's when I decided that like, I want going because my relatives out there and the people I care about, my friends are saying that they are being open to all of these vulnerabilities. And like my desire to go see things is not more important than my desire to protect people I care about's families. And I was planning on going to Alaska where there are a lot of elders and a lot of very vulnerable people and not a lot of access to healthcare. So that would be like a huge dick move on my part if I, with the ability to go to OSU hospitals if I get sick, decided to travel through while I was carrying a virus and then make it back home in time for me to be perfectly fine. I can wait.
1: Definitely. I I think about... My great aunt and my great uncle, which are the the oldest living relatives that I still have, both of them are pushing ninety years old, and both of them are are up on the Leech Lake Reservation, in in an area of Minnesota where you have the, the, the you have one kind of regional trauma center that's ten miles away, but then the nearest big hospital beyond that is a is a two and a half hour car ride or maybe like an hour helicopter ride away, and. Um, they're, they're inside, like they're, they're completely locked, locked down and and inside and because they're, they're, they're susceptible and a lot of people on the reservation are, are susceptible, which is, you know, not to, not to get expressly political, but when Donald Trump had a rally in Bemidji, Minnesota, which is that town 10 miles down the road from the main population center of a reservation, it's just frustrating because it's like. You know, there are people coming through our town that are going to see this not wearing masks and then coming back. And if somebody were to get sick, you could have like a mass fatality event on the reservation because there are people that are at risk for this and, they, and they're going to get exposed.
0: I like won't even go see my grandparents and they like my dad's parents are two regular, regular, middle class white people with access to health care. And it's mm-hmm. just because it's not worth hurting other people, you know? As much as I love adventures, adventures are much better when you actually get to meet cool people. And I also very much value elderly people because they're super neat and really cool. And it's awesome that you have relatives who are almost 90 years old because that's like a huge blessing. And in, in valuing these people and our cultures, we have to just like admit that sometimes we have to. I mean, our people did it before colonization too. Where when there were pandemics that came through, we'd separate camps and we'd live in smaller family units to keep ourselves safe. So it's like we just have to be smart and work with nature. This to, at this point because it's not really giving us an option.
2: Definitely,
0: I definitely appreciate you talking to me about all these things too because oh, of course. I like it's always I try to make sure that I stay up on perspectives of other indigenous people because like of course I'm Cherokee so everybody a lot is known about my nation we are very much um, able to discuss the things that go on with us but we also don't technically have reservation land so the Keotoas are the only folks out of our three tribes that have a small reservation in Tennessee so the dynamics between different tribes I think is one thing that I try to talk about because I like to avoid pan-Indianism while actually appreciating other people's cultures. And so it's good to hear about other people's communities and what they're going through because I feel like, you know, there's two really big nations everybody knows about. And them and Lakota people, so it's like us, the Diné, and Lakota people, everybody knows a lot of stuff about us. Politically, we oftentimes have a lot more... Um, information out about us, but what's going on on smaller reservations and with tribes that don't necessarily have as much media coverage is just as important.
1: Oh, definitely. I I think that that's definitely important.
0: So I actually invited you here to tell me a spooky story.
1: Sure. So yes, actually, you know, talking about road trips, this is actually a good tie-in to the spooky story. So for a long time, when I was younger, my mother and I would make three-and-a-half, four-hour trip from Minneapolis up to Cass Lake, which is the main center of the Leetric Reservation, and we would go up to visit family. We would go up to go to the powwows that would be held up there every summer, and, and we would just go up there for a chance to just kind of be back on, back on our tribe's homelands and to just get away from the hustle and the bustle of the city. And so this particular trip happened when I was 16 years old and my mother and I were going up and we actually brought my aunt up as well and we were going to go up and spend some time with my, my um, great-great-aunt who passed away um, about 14 years ago now. Um, but we were going to go up and spend some time with her and go see her and we were going to take her to our annual, I think, 4th of July powwow that was going on. And so we... You know, we figure the trip's going to be uneventful enough. It's a fairly easy drive up there, but we leave get going out of Minneapolis at about, I'd say, like 6 or 7 o'clock at night. So we drive up, and my aunt is well-meaning, but, you know, she's she's not a geographer. And she says, oh, well, I think I, I, think I know a shortcut that we can cut off, like, a half hour off of the driving time. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure about this, but I'm 16 years old. And my mom's like, oh, well, you know, let's let's go ahead and try this this shortcut. And so we end up deviating off the highway and we, we start driving down this narrow two lane road that kind of winds through the forest because we're at this point we're in the middle of northern Minnesota. And we keep we keep going for a while and. I think that I, I can definitely speak for myself that I was already on edge, and I think my mom and my aunt were on edge because, you know, we would have deer running across the road because it's nighttime. And so every time the deer would run across the road, they, they'd yell and they'd freak me out. So I'm already, like, on edge. And we keep going. We, we, we drive through a small town, and then maybe about 20 miles outside of this town, we start driving, and we see this deer in the middle of the road with a uh, dead deer and the really interesting thing about this dead deer is that it was cleaved completely in half it was like the front half of the deer was lying on the road and you we pass it, we drive around it and about 15 feet further we see the other half of the deer we're like okay, something ran over this deer and cut it
0: clear in half and we yeah. keep going gruesome and, <laughs> what's that? it sounds gruesome
1: and yeah, it was really freaky. Like, I had never seen a deer, like a dead deer, look like that. We keep going, and about 200 feet up the road, we see a motorcycle on its side on the shoulder of the road. Like, and so it's really clear what happens. A, a motorcycle hit the deer, cut it in half, and must have lost control, and the, the rider put the bike down on the side of the road. So we pull over, and it, it, it looked like this had just happened, like maybe. minutes before we had gotten there we pull over and like we we look at the motorcycle and like the foot pegs and like one side of the handlebar are like bent so we're like okay so he 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 or she like fell must have fell down and so we start we get out and we take our flashlights and we start kind of looking around and trying to trying to find the biker and we do this for about 10 minutes and we don't we we can't find the the rider anywhere we're like this this just happens we just came out of the nearest town which is 20 miles behind us there's nothing for another 20 miles ahead of us where is this guy and we try we pull out our phones and we try to call 911 to report it no cell service at all like we had had cell service and then it just disappeared all of a sudden
0: oh and we, no
1: we couldn't call anybody and so we decide. My, my mom and my, my auntie and I decide we're gonna maybe we're gonna venture a little bit further. Maybe the biker is disoriented. And we we get we get into the forest a little bit, and this is like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night. And we just hear something. We hear something moving around out there. And that was the moment where we decided no, we're not we're not looking anymore. We're getting back to the truck, and we're we're gonna go try to drive to the nearest town and see maybe if we'll we'll run across this rider. When we're heading back. So we book it back to the truck, get in, start driving. We don't find the rider. He's he or she's not walking alongside the side of the road. Mm. We manage to get to the nearest town, call the police. The police say, "Okay, we're going to we the police say we haven't we haven't gotten any word about any crash. We'll go out and we'll, we'll have a sheriff go out and take a look we don't hear we and we, we say could you like let us know if you find anything we don't we never hear back from the sheriff we we go up and we we have a nice couple of days up in up there in Castle Lake and then we come back and like the the i go to the library to use the internet the following week and i look up i try to look up news stories absolutely nothing on this at all and like to to this day i think i tried looking again a few years ago there there's, there's absolutely nothing this this motorcyclist just hit this deer cut it in half and just dis, as, as far as we know just disappeared
0: that's wild wow oh that's creepy well, well yeah especially if it just happened mm. where did this person go
1: it, it, yeah it definitely like the the there was still blood running like on down the road from from like this this deer carcass we were like this just happened like and it, it just it, it looked like the like the motorcycle had like crashed like he had fallen down like trying to trying to get balance after hitting that deer and yeah it just completely vanished and just nobody knew nobody seemed to know what had happened
0: well especially hitting a deer that hard on a motorcycle i can't imagine that you yourself are not injured in some way so yeah, that that's what we, person couldn't have gotten very far.
1: That's what we had figured. We were like, you know, for, for all we know, they could have like, they could have gotten thrown off the motorcycle and they could be sitting there with a broken leg or a broken arm. But we were we were like yelling, like, you know, is anybody out there? Is anybody out there? And we, we walked a good ways. Like we probably walked about 40 or 50 feet into the forest off of the side of the road. And we didn't, we couldn't find anything. And it just was absolutely, it was absolutely spooky. Um, it's you know, gosh, I, I I haven't been on that stretch of road since um, since that happened. Like it, it's it's a route that I could take to get up north, and I I don't take it because I'm still really freaked out about driving down there and thinking about what had happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, there's a couple of spooky roads, even like around here that at certain times of night I won't drive them without another person. Um, my husband told me a story right after i moved here where he was like yeah don't drive down this road at night because sometimes there is a dog out there that is not a dog and it tries to run in front of your car and that's like
1: it's oh gosh yeah there's just these little just these just these things um that that are associated with like stretches of road or just places that always get me like when i would when I would visit my, my girlfriend up when she was doing an internship up on the Iron Range region of northeastern Minnesota, there was a stretch of road that I would have to take to, to see her because her, her town of 18,000 that she was living in is weirdly only really indirectly accessible from major highways that you have to take, like, you either have to go way out of your way to find the one four-lane highway that runs through town, or you can... Take another four lane, and then take this little two lane road that runs through the woods. And people for a long time hated that stretch of road. They said, "Well, you know, it's either in the winter time it gets really icy and you'll slide right off the road, or in the summertime it's infested with deer, and you'll you'll hit one." And for the longest time, I drove that multiple times, and nothing ever happened. I was like, "Okay, like." There, this road isn't so bad and then the one time we were driving back up from Duluth we my, my girlfriend and I had, I had come back for the summer and we had we had gone down to Duluth to go to a state park down there we were driving back and we we're just we we're just driving along and in it was like literally a flash one second there was nothing in front of me and then a split second later there was a deer in the front corner of the vehicle and we hit it and it like bounced off the car and like I think I think like ran away maybe it died but it's just oh i think that that i think that that's so i'm like really skittish now around driving in areas that that have deer and i think it stems from that and it stems from that that road trip that i with the motorcycle where it's like gosh like you know it, it just it just freaks me out i'm always like hyper focused when i'm driving at nighttime through the woods now because of that
0: No, I can definitely understand. Some things just, like, leave an impression on you, and actually one of the rules that Amari and I had was we never drove, um, too far into the night on a stretch of road that didn't have a rest stop with it. We would, if we saw that there was a rest stop that was, like, two or three hours away, even if we were still awake, we wouldn't risk it, um, because, you know, we were both two black girls just, like, traveling the country by ourselves, and three hours and nowhere to stop with cameras is a lot of space. Um, and you know, people are people are obviously my biggest worry. But there's also stuff out there that I don't know about, and I ain't trying to find out by my lonesome in the middle of the night on a road I don't know.
1: Right? Yeah. Exactly. Like I think that's that's one of the things that you always have to you always have to be aware of. And I think that especially for like you know black indigenous and, and other people of color I think that's definitely something that's always like you know that that mental checklist that you kind of got to make right It's like is are my tires properly inflated are they in good shape do I have enough gas do I do I have people that know where I'm know where I'm going and where I'm, I'm supposed to get there because it's, it's just always that, that additional steps that you got to take when you when you travel I mean that's that's something that I sometimes I feel like I I kind of take that stuff for for granted and I, I stopped and think about it. I'm like man what what you know for example another another story about northern minnesota i went to go visit a friend up in up in northeastern minnesota before driving back to duluth when i was doing my master's degree there and i i left i left their their apartment at like oh gosh like midnight 12 30 in the morning and started driving back to duluth it was only 90 miles so i figured oh, i'll get there by like 2 or 2 30 and then i can go to sleep i, I roll through a town and um Roll through town and my my high beams are on because nobody else is on the road up until I see this cop with their 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 car completely turned off on the on the shoulder and I, I flip off my high beams and I pass them and they they turn on their car and they follow me for about a quarter of a mile and, and they pull me over and you know they, they pull me over and I'm like oh I wonder what I was doing was it because my high beams are on because I, I definitely wasn't speeding and they they get out of the car and they come up and they're like oh good 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 evening i where are you coming from? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm coming from Grand Rapids. And they're like, well, what were you doing there? I was like, oh, just visiting a friend. Um, they take my ID and their insurance, they run it, and they come back, and they're like, alright, have have a good night. And I was like, oh, what, what was that about? And I, I messaged my cousin about it later, and he's like, yeah, that, that's an illegal stop. And I'm like, well, yeah, but what, what do you expect me to do, right? In the, in the middle of the woods with, with an armed cop, do you think that that's a place where I'm going to argue with them about the legality of a stop? Like, yeah.
0: I I think the spookiness of the road is uh, different in a couple of ways for people of color. One, because of actual spooky factor. There are things on long stretches of roads and on this land that are not describable by us or predictable by us. And that's the same reason why adventures are fun is because you discover cool stuff. But sometimes other things discover you, and that is creepy. But also, you know, I've been taking road trips... All my life and there have been very few times where I was actually afraid and one of them was we had to stop at a gas station somewhere randomly in Wyoming and I was with my mother and my sisters and they were only 9 and 11 at the time and uh, this was definitely not a place where black people should have stopped and they were whispering and talking under their breath the two men under the counter and kind of eyeballing us weird and at that point my little sister julian is nine she obviously doesn't want to listen to her mean old 20 year old sister but at the same time i was trying to get them both out of there as quickly as possible without raising alarm and that was a situation that obviously because we are three like Women in my family are not very big. My mom is five foot three, you know what I mean? So it's not like even the adult in this situation had any way to back us or protect us. And that was, I think, the only time I've truly been scared on a road trip. And I have survived two bison stampedes, run up on a bobcat, and had wolves run up on me on accident. So, you know, I like nature, you know, if it's gonna get me, it's gonna get me and that's the way the land wanted it people on the other hand are totally a different thing
1: yeah that's you know it's it's really you know talking about the spookiness of the road that is definitely uh that's definitely something that you know i, I really should have been it should have drawn the the parallels there i mean the, the running into a deer in the middle of the road is was was a hair-raising experience and kind of leads to kind of this very this visceral feeling of like heightened awareness on the road afterwards uh, it's the same thing with um you know running into people like right, getting pulled over by a cop I I that stretch of road that I got pulled over on I've driven that a ton of times and now even still my my the hair on the back of my neck raises every time I I drive to the little town where I got pulled over it because so it's like well you know if, if the sheriff felt comfortable to do that once who knows you know maybe maybe again I'm going to get get pulled over again and who knows who knows what could happen in in those situations
0: exactly and uh so i think that because the truth is is that sometimes people just take issue with you existing in the world and there ain't nothing you can do about it and you can't predict it nature on the other hand if something's hungry and it comes for you well it was hungry that's a reason it would suck to be eaten by a mountain lion in my own tent but that barely ever happens However, assault on black and native people from random white people who just have an issue is not
1: No, no, not at all. No, I think about, you know, when my my wife and I go back home to North Dakota, um, definitely her being with me and, like, us being visibly, us acting visibly in a relationship and us having our wedding rings definitely helps. I kind of wonder, you know, people are friendly enough to me, but I, I wonder, like, you know what would happen if it was just DeAndre driving through this small town in North Dakota and getting out and using the gas, using the bathroom in a gas station at like ten o'clock at night? Would they be, would they be so friendly, or would they think like, oh, hey, here's this, here's this guy that he's this brown skinned guy that you know is just driving through. What, you know what's what's he up to? And so yeah, definitely, it's it's like kind of like those those things in in those rural areas where you know they're they're beautiful and and I love being I love being being back home and being out in the country and being out in the forest, but, you know, sometimes, especially nowadays, it's kind of one of those things where it's, you know, those calculated risks that you got to take, right, when you're when you're putting them yourself in, in some certain environments.
0: Yeah, we have a never sleep in Idaho rule because there is such a high concentration of white supremacist groups and militias that I will not even sleep in the state. Oh. Yeah, I've decided that um, I do not sleep anywhere between That weird space between Wyoming and the Covell Reservation. Like, I will not stop driving through Idaho until I hit, like, that part. Because I normally try to go through, because I like the drive. It's prettier up there anyways. Come down through the mountains, and then you hit the Covell Reservation a little bit, and then you head south to Portland. But I do not stop driving in Idaho.
1: Yeah, I have never, I have actually never been to Idaho but I, I've definitely heard about kind of the, the prevalence of, you know, militias and kind of white supremacist groups groups up there. And, um, you know, that's, that's something is that something to, to take, into, take into account for sure.
0: I mean, unfortunately, the geography is super beautiful and there's lots of really great hiking. But it's not, uh, I consider that an entire sundown state until somebody takes care of that white supremacist militia problem because they've got too many.
1: Yeah, that is, that is definitely that is definitely a shame. And, you know, considering that, you know, you're, you're being white supremacists in landscapes that are historically and contemporaneously indigenous land, right? Like,
0: Yeah, that's the other thing that uh, I think that one of the things I like about traveling, one, is I get to experience the land, other people's land, and I try to, of course, approach it with respect. But the other thing that I notice is how many other people do not and the entitlement across the country is the same flavor, you know? Everybody's like, well, you lived in Kentucky. Weren't you scared there? I was like, "Um, racism is racism, even if it has an accent or doesn't. And I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And let me tell you, that didn't stop me from experiencing racism just because it's in the North, you know? It's a obviously a global phenomenon, but in the US, white people just be the same no matter what their accent is. So I don't really play, and I especially don't play around in Idaho, yeah, I
1: think that yeah, it's definitely something um, you know. Growing up in the north and kind of moving, you know, Ohio's not the south, obviously, but but Columbus and, and points further south kind of definitely have that that southern flavor to them. And you know, I've seen I've seen Confederate flags on the on the front porches of homes in northern Ohio, driving back to Columbus, and you know, people are people tend to think, oh, well, you know, racism doesn't happen in the north, and it's like, are you you kidding me, right? Like. you you know you're just not you're not paying attention to it but it's it's definitely there ask ask people in in Leech Lake right on the reservation those border towns Mm -hmm. Uh, those are those are other those are other spaces where the, the the as I'm driving through the the hair stands up on the back of my neck because if I if I get pulled over or if I or if somebody gets suspicious of me, right? I'm I'm some some native coming through and, you know, we're already coded as not being up to any good. So, you know, those are those are spaces those are um dangerous spaces to, to travel through.
0: Those are like weird human made liminal spaces, you know, because there are some places on this earth that are just spooky because of whatever is living there that we can't see in the next world. And I don't know whether or not you're a hokey person like I am, but you know, There's some things I don't have answers to that I'm cool to not have any answers to, but I always know that the very tangible danger on the road is white supremacy. Oh, definitely. So... Yeah, it's unfortunate that that's something that we all relate to of course
1: yeah it's one of those it's one of those things where kind of the the, the right of, of transit is not always guaranteed right even if it's it's nominally you know you have the right to travel you know it's always these these weird spaces that are constructed by humans that, that make it so that they're, they're it's not always a, a safe place yeah. or
0: you always don't always have the, the right to travel freely yeah yeah man sometimes the midwest is just as spooky as other places and i don't think any anybody understands the true horror of just fields and fields of corn
1: (laughs) yeah right like people people see that and they think like oh you know ha 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 children of the corn it's like no this, this ain't no horror movie right like you you know there's there's real thrills and real terrors that can that can come out of these places
0: yep I very much appreciate you taking some time out of your day to tell me a couple of stories about your travel experiences. It was very nice to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, do you have anything you want to tell anybody about or anything that's important to you?
1: Oh, of course. No, no worries at all. No, it was a real pleasure to talk. Um, I guess the the, the things that I I would want to say is that... um... You know, make sure that you're, you're listening to the Black and Indigenous people in your lives, right? And making sure that you're doing what you can to look out for them, especially in, in this day and age in our country. Um, you know, look out for them, wear a mask, wash your hands, and keep fighting the good
0: fight. I couldn't have said it better myself. I really appreciate you giving me your time and doing this. And uh, I hope you get to go visit your family soon.
1: Our fingers are crossed, right? And hopefully we'll have a deer-free experience heading up there.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Howdy, y'all. I'm coming to you with a brief break section just to tell y'all that uh, up next we're going to have my friend Tyrone coming to speak with us and give some shout-outs. I'd like to first give a shout-out to all my patrons who have still held on and keep supporting me even though we had to take a really long hiatus and really revamp how the podcast is run. Thanks for sticking with me. And for those of you who don't know anything about my Patreon, definitely check it out at patreon.com slash the rambler. There's an underscore between the and rambler. So that would be patreon.com slash T-H-E underscore rambler. R-A-M-B-L-E-R. Definitely go check that out. I post lots of free stuff and information about myself so that it's easier to keep up with my projects. Also... Recently, I was very lucky to partner with a pretty cool group called Terra Incognita Media. And by group, I mean it's an intersectional and feminist response to outdoor media. And y'all should definitely go check that out because if you guys are like me and you like to travel and explore, but you maybe don't fit into the mainstream of what that looks like, this is the place for you to go check it out. They're also going to be posting transcripts of my interviews and episodes on the website. So, for those of you who need extra help in that way, I'm doing my best to make things more accessible for people. And this is one of the really big steps I'm taking. So, definitely, if you need that information, go to terra incognitamedia.com. That again is terra incognitamedia.com. Uh, nice to talk to y'all again. And I'm so glad to get started. I'm going to cut it off now so we can get right back into the interviews.
2: Stories this is just some weird stuff that people swear happened in the 70s.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that kind I love urban legendy stuff. Also, would you introduce yourself, where you're from, if you would like, and also if you have anything that you want to plug, like any programs you're a part of, any mutual aid funds that you support, things like that, I will also include those in the show notes so that you can get credit because this is basically your episode. I'm going to listen to you tell a story.
2: Yeah, well, actually, I'm a little unprepared on that front today. I don't really have anything um, off the top of my head that I'm really plugging. Like, I don't know, I've just been doing a lot of local stuff, so I usually just tell people, you know, look into your local bail funds if there's mutual aid in that respect or find what you can do, but yeah, I'm really bad at just, like, oh, yeah, I've got, like, the Portland <laughs> relief fund, like, in my back pocket right now.
0: And so am I, so putting people on the spot is really unfair of me. Um, oh,
2: and I don't really feel put on the spot, but yeah, and, I mean, that's just kind of my, that's just kind of how I handle that stuff. Yeah, I mean. Practically anyway, it's like, oh yeah, I mean, somebody approached, like, people used to approach me, you know, like, well, what are some good organizations? I'm like, really, when I was super active, I didn't join an organization. I had, like, a small team, and we called ourselves something, but that was just to kind of trick businesses into letting us do stuff.
0: Yeah, for real, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the modus operandi around here. It's like I tell people the Appalachian Feminist Coalition is literally just like a bunch of us crazy mountain ladies found each other on the interwebs and wanted to share memes that weren't super degrading. And then we ended up doing a lot of mutual aid funds and coat drives and stuff and now we've actually become a thing that organizes. And 100% we were mostly just there to be one page that didn't disparage like impoverished Appalachian people.
2: That's awesome, yeah. Um, and I think that's most of the effective people are people that I am mostly in alignment with, that's kind of how they operate. Like, yeah, ours was like full circle united and we had no greater institutional goal. Um And the only reason we didn't call ourselves, like, a Black Lives Matter organization was because it was, like, the six people that were cool with each other at these actions. It just so happened that half of us were non-black native people, so we didn't really feel comfortable with that. So we're like, yeah, well, fuck with everything Black Lives Matter. We should call ourselves maybe our own thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's super smart. It's always cool to hear about how other people get into organizing because groups like obviously my favorite ones always tend to be like literal accidental girl gangs like who then terrify everybody in their town for being sexists and they're the most effective kind of people a gang of buds having a revolutionary time
2: (laughs) no seriously because i think one of the first quote-unquote actions i did was one of us literally posted like i'm at the pride festival and there's these here libertarians hang out with ARs outside of the kids area? Does somebody just want to like tell them to fuck off? So yeah, we just, I jumped on a bus and yelled at some weirdo with an AR that was clown gun, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah, just just like a weird paint job and it looked like something like he had pulled out of a shooter. It was
0: ridiculous. <laughs> yeah and it's just like that intimidation bullshit especially around kids is absolutely unnecessary so sometimes you need a pack of surly uncles you know or crazy aunties that's just the way you gotta mm-hmm. roll oh
2: yeah um no i was just talking to because we've been having the gun debate in olympia with like leftists and we have been for a couple of years
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's kind of where i was with it where it's like i just told Somebody at work, and like, well, no, I mean, I don't advocate for like buying a car's or spending like a car's worth of money on your guns and having like your anti fascism $6,000 suite, but like, yeah, when the KKK used to meet in Olympia, the reason that stopped was all the NSCLIs well. just kind of rolled up with their regular ass deer rifles.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is effective, and I believe very much a similar thing.
2: But no, that's actually, I don't know, that's one of the things about Colville that I don't hear about that reservation a lot in contemporary conversations or, like, younger people's conversations. And this is kind of the weird thing, kind of getting into what I was talking talking about, discussing today was, like... Um, but it's got these weird little, like, magazine telegram uh, stories and reputations where it's, like, oh, yeah, everybody from Fort Belknap used to drink there when they came to Nesbieland back when Nesbieland was a place to go to. Um, and so this bar that this story happened at was just, like, people from weird, like... Asian, we would just always know this bar called the on um in town and yeah it's just this film has a lot of little shit like that where it's like oh yeah i remember they used to have this bar and if you got kicked out of there you go over to this other bar and the cool thing about that bar is they little coke out the back so it's one of those things where the story is i've heard this story from my dad i've heard it from a couple of people that used to drink in this bar um i kind of heard it when i was doing cultural resource or research uh, i heard it referenced um, but yeah, I guess to kind of, I guess it doesn't make a lot of sense since, um, but to contest guys yeah, it, it happened in this bar called the Warbonnet and this field has two bars and the Warbonnet goes through like these closings and then somebody buys it and it's currently like decrepit again. Um, but there's another bar called the Catch Pin, and the whole thing was the like bootlegger partier crowd later on. Um, just kind of rowdy infants, like, would drink at these two bars. And, yeah, uh, like, my uncles used to say, like, yeah, if we didn't have money to drink, we would, like, go smoke a joint in on the street in between the bars. And you would see a couple walk by, like, seven going to one of them. And you'd say, hey. And then you'd see them, like, fairly drunk around 10 p.m. You're like, hey, you going to the other bar? And they'd say, yeah. <laughs> um, and so this little strip in this, like, 500-person town was just kind of known to be partying all the time. Um and like it even gets these weird references like Do you remember when Tiger Woods got had all the mis
0: Yes I do. So one of them, uh, is a girl named Jamie Grubbs. Uh,
2: I graduated with this girl and her dad owned it for a minute. Oh my and so like in the middle of the Tiger Woods scale there's a story about the war bonnet that she tells. Um and so, yeah, it's just one of those like weird, shameful little things that we're almost famous for. And uh So, yeah, the story happened, I want to say, it would have been about 40 or 50 years ago, so before my time. um, everybody was at this bar, and the thing about this bar is if there was a non-native person there, they were either BIA or they were, like, with somebody, Um, and so one day there's
0: The whole force. Yeah, just because somebody's drunk uncle was being a drunk uncle at the bar and uh, decided he wanted to fight cops. Uh, well, we to get
2: back to our night <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, I just hate just to root that guy.
0: uncle on, but sort of, sort of my style too. I feel like if I ever got old and grizzled, I'd probably become very similar. <laughs> a difference between tribal police culture and uh big city police culture and no it's of course not perfect and uncriticable but at the same time it's five dudes who you know super well running around three towns
2: exactly um
0: and honestly if there is ever going to be any type of law enforcement type group, that's how you'd probably want to do it anyways, is dudes that you know who are there to make sure people are safe, but also mostly mind their business
2: at a powwow gate a lot is like, my ideal interaction with police where, like, everybody goes through the checkpoint and the cops know a good segment that people are lying when they say they don't have beer or fireworks in the car. But they also know that, like, 90% of those people, they're going to have their beer after they go to the dance and they're going to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and... It just creates the expectation, like, no, you straight up lied to us if somebody does wind up out of their sorts, like, wandering around the camp and messing with people. <laughs> like, yeah, we told you not to be drinking here. Um, so, like, that's kind of my preferred level <laughs> of them, like, yeah, knowing that I probably gave them a bullshit answer, but it's really not worth the hassle, and I gotta get grandma's chair set up, so just leave me alone.
0: <laughs> right, it's like punishing people under the presumption that they're going to do something wrong is silly. Just wait until they do something wrong.
2: Uh, but to get back to our story, yeah, um, there was, yeah, there was just this dude, uh, and uh, people would just talk, like, had little conversations with him that they would allude to, or, you know, you know, yeah, he bought me a drink, he kind of talked us up, he was just, he was kind of a cool guy. Um, and then he left with somebody, and uh, this is where it starts to get a little foggy. Um, I've been told that person was found dead the next day, I've been found that person was found dead and mutilated the next day, i heard that person just has been missing since then um and so like yeah uh, there's just this really weird conversation about like was this a like you know instinct is like yeah a, a fucking weird racist like bought some drinks and then did something awful um but then there's also a ton of accounts of people like saying there were weird things about this guy's body uh, <laughs> when they were drinking like i didn't notice it because it was the 70s and everyone was wearing flare, flare fans but yeah no that fucker had hoes. Yeah, and so um, there's this really weird night, uh, like 40, 50 years ago, where this guy um, comes out of nowhere, charms the pants off of everybody in the bar. Everybody loves this guy. Like, this guy could have, like, stayed in town. Um, And then he peaced out a little before last call, and that's where, like, everybody's perspective until this person winds up dead, kind of. Ends, which I was trying to think about like ways to pat this out because it's not like a huge, it's not like a big long story to tell, but it, it literally is just like one of those like this guy came in, nobody ever saw him again, nobody can remember who he is. Um, he did all of his dealings in cash, he was gone in one night, and then there's like this aftermath.
0: <laughs> Wild, yeah, that's yeah. spooky. So yeah, that's
2: one of those stories that, I don't know, it's one of those ones, this isn't like a ghost story or like a chapter with like a warning behind it. Like, we have a story about something will eat you if you don't bury your bodily waste. Something will come and get you if you don't take care of your parents, right? Um, But there's always some, like, even if I don't agree with it in modern context, um, there's some intervention that the young person in the story was able to take. Um, This was just like, yeah no um nobody thought anything was up people thought they were having a good time and um somebody mysteriously died like we don't know what the fuck
0: yeah that is that's what's spooky about it too is because like our stories have a point to them but i don't really think there's a point to that
2: the thing that lack of a term, better term spirits like little people stick indians um, all that kind of stuff in the old man um is that they all have rules and they're just not our rules so there's even a, a debate on the plateau that's like um what is the morality of little people <laughs> Because some people work with them and find them really helpful, and then some people completely stay away and are afraid of it. Um, and there's this whole spectrum between the two, but it's, like, in general, a lot of that stuff falls down to, like, here are the rules. And from our perspective, like, you don't go with those people because this could happen. Like, we're not even sure if that's an evil thing where they take you away or if they just want you to visit and play. They don't understand how our time works. Mm-hmm. But this story was straight up, like, no, that guy was the devil. <laughs> did some evil shit and left and like we don't know like we don't know the rule we don't know the the reasoning we don't know what the fuck this was um we just know that it wasn't something that could be like reasoned with you couldn't figure this thing's rules out you couldn't um live right and be out of its path it kind of just came in and inserted some blood and chaos and then left
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's kind of what's scary about it because there's not really, like, an elder you can call, you know, if something's bumping on your house in the middle of the night, you call somebody older than you and you're like, yo, what is this and how do I take care of it? And they're like, oh, you do this and this and this and it's because you've been doing this and this and this. And with that, that is just a very horrible happenstance and that's scary.
2: somebody was at one point i was like yeah the funny thing is like native cultures have exorcism rituals too they're just extremely boring because it's like you go into a space with the ghost and you try to figure out what the fuck it wants and then you try to impress
0: that like you're just trying to take care of your business so they can hang out and you won't send them off unless they try some shit and it's like uh because oftentimes it could just be somebody you know playing jokes on you and maybe you deserve it a little bit
2: or, like, it could be, for us, it's like, it could also kind of be your fault, so, like, people that make it into the good afterlife from our perspective, that shit is so awesome that it is nothing but pain and torture if you pull that out and pull them back to our world and make them, like, remember that they left people, remember that they, like, have stuff that they didn't finish. It, it hurts them, and so, like, to the point where it's like, yeah, that's your grandma, but that's your grandma in extreme pain and torture, so she's just lashing out, um, so you need to stop fucking with her shit.
0: Yeah, I get the heebie-jeebies whenever things don't have reasons. And for us, I think that um, people don't understand that sometimes supernatural things can have reasons. And I actually prefer those ones.
2: I follow my own rules. <laughs> In fact, some of my grandmas used to, like, when we tried to pull, like, the black cat thing on them or something, they are just like, oh, no, you're an expert. That, that stuff doesn't work on you. You got your own stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, it's kind of true because I will, like, a broken mirror or a black, like, none of that's ever given me a trouble. I have never seen an owl fly over somebody's
0: house without some bad shit happening. 100%. Before I, like, really dug into my culture and my history on all sides of my family, I, like, wasn't particularly superstitious, to be completely honest with you. Until I started no- knowing, noticing that the folklore things that I was learning and had been told my whole life and hadn't realized like their origins were actually completely correct. And the reason I wasn't spooked by mainstream scary things is because those were not the things that I was raised to think were scary. Yeah, and
2: on the flip side, like, um, I don't talk about this a lot it's mine. Um, they actually had people look at me when I was really little, because um, I would talk to people that weren't there, uh, and it really freaked my parents out, and when they had this older person come and talk to me, um, he asked me some stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, no, the, um, it's this old cowboy. He's just over there. He hangs out sometimes. Um, and <laughs> I guess that elder kind of told my parents like no he's right it's an old man and he's a cowboy <laughs> um but he doesn't seem to be attracting anything that's bad um, he doesn't seem to be taking any nobody's influencing the kid to do anything weird or hurtful so this is the thing that some people do and it'll probably lighten up as they get older and <laughs> just don't worry about it so much
0: yeah it's funny because. Um even though my dad is white he's very italian very southern italian and that's kind of their approach too is like sometimes spooky things happen and kids grow out of it or whatever yeah it's just it's a funny cultural comparison i just always like to hear how different kinds of people see things like that
2: oh yeah no and i tell other people i was like or i i used to say shit like oh yeah i was talking to my ghost (laughs) I was like yeah I mean sometimes it's it's not like you know I start seeing my breath or the candles to the blue or something but just like oh something you know somebody's hanging out and you talk to them as they leave
0: sometimes a ghost story is actually pleasant one day I saw a cowboy end of ghost story that's a good one
2: <laughs> I used to have imaginary friends that turns out weren't all that imaginary like that's That's it. That's the end of the story. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Man, I love it when kids do creepy stuff like that, too. I always indulge in it because I'm like, it's actually really adorable. And if you're not scared, I'm not going to make you scared of nothing, you know?
2: Yeah, and actually, this is one of those things where I did enjoy running across regionally. We We were actually watching this old Stephen King movie through the cat's eye. And the last vignette is a little girl, like, battling this house troll with her cat. Um, and my brother's father-in-law was part of this visiting family from Walpole. Um, without missing a beat, when the story ends, he just kind of nods. He's like, see, that's why I always believe kids when they say shit like that. <laughs> is, like this natural thing. He's like, yep, Stephen King got it right. If kid says there's a
0: troll, you go in there and beat its ass. Because worst case scenario, you look dumb chasing a rat for 10 minutes. But best case scenario, the kids tell the truth and there's a monster in there. <laughs> And I think that I, that's the, a big difference between Native culture and dominant culture is that we don't see kids as being frivolous and useless because we, I don't know, don't, aren't necessarily as indoctrinated with that capitalist thing that you have to be working to be valuable. So I also find that there's a lot of spooky situations where Native people just actually believe each other and the kids around them. And that probably makes things a lot easier. Like, imagine how many poltergeist situations would not have escalated had somebody just listened to Little Abigail say, you know, the TV turns on in the middle of the night and it creeps me out.
2: Oh, no, that's, uh, we were joking about pitching this. Um, like, we're going to do, quote-unquote, indigenous horror as a genre, but it's actually a comedic genre where, like, uncle tells you, hey, that's Ghost Hell Valley, don't go in there going to regular fun times valley and then the rest of the episode is just him fishing with his niblings in that valley and then at one point in the episode he has to get a phone call of people like begging him to come help
0: Mm-hmm. and he's like nah you could have gone fishing today yeah.
2: he's like nah man we're chilling you're like this is this is nephew
0: time mm-hmm. you could have come out with us on the boat could have spent the day in the good way but you wanted to go play with ghosts I think a lot of people are gonna listen to us talking about these things being funny and definitely think that we're culture nerds because they're gonna be like. Well, also the thing is, is you've told me your story and we've talked for an hour, so if you're ready to go, we can totally be finished because I don't have any questions for you, and I very much appreciate what you came to do.
2: Well, no, I, yeah, I think I'm actually kind of done. I just think
0: I enjoy talking with you. So. Yeah, it's no, been nice. I, we've kind of been mutual for a long time. And I just,
2: I enjoy that we're having an actual interaction and not like just liking my talking points and your talking
0: points. So, so much I appreciate these interactions, and that's kind of why I've been doing it is because I'm purposely like reaching out to individuals who are regular people and asking them to be interviewed because I'm like tired of hearing the same check checkmark academic voices, the same people who are completely white passing or wealthy or famous. And I just want to talk to, like, regular people because we do exist and we are out here, but you only hear from the same 15 of us over and over again. And that shit's boring, to be honest with you.
2: Oh, yeah. Or they tell the same stories. So, like, I'm not going to drag her too much because I don't have, like, personal critiques for her, but this is just more of a, this narrative thing. Um, there's this congressional candidate, uh, Paula Jordan in Idaho, um, and she always talks about this rather famous ancestor of hers Lucy Covington. Uh, My family is also related (laughs) to Lucy and uh, that's one of those weird things where like everybody talks about Lucy because she was um, collaborating with Franz Boas and some uh, academic stuff she was bringing people to Congress all the time Um, but like Lucy being from a North Basin tribe was pretty white passing and um, our family history has enough mixture with white people that like there is some measurable privilege that we were able to like see with that. Mm Mm-hmm and so like it kind of drives me up the wall I love Lucy, I love talking about Lucy um, but like there were Ned's elders who were actually on the testimonies that she organized, they were the ones who were actually delivering like um, the specific knowledge that was making the case and then her being kind of the booster and the coordinator kind of cemented her in history and got a bunch of stuff named after her and people missed that. There was essentially an entire political party organized around her to like stop termination, to um, get all these other things done and it was like it came down to her even saying like no I'm going to give the opposing party the chair seat because that takes the vote away from them um, so like she was amazing but she also had a coalition of people that are often forgot about and it's because those people were like public works janitors or people that worked on the logging teams or people that were just super Jewish and therefore perpetually unemployed <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah those that's why I'm trying to talk to people who are not necessarily up to par with respectability politics um because mm-hmm. we're the folks who get left in the dust and are most affected by this world overall and so I think that you and Deandre are the only two non-women folk I've invited on the show because I've specifically gone to speak to predominantly marginalized black native women and femmes uh black and Native uh, women and femmes on purpose because like we're the ones who are faced by housing crises we're the ones who are faced most by institutional racism in health care and um housing disparity and so many things and nobody really brings those up because then you have to talk about single moms and queer people and all the people who we spend a lot of time trying to forget.
2: Yeah. Um, no, actually, that makes me super happy. That's that's my favorite position to be in. Um, we talked about our old orcs once upon a time, and there was this, there was this really cute shout-out or two that happened back then where it was like, yeah, we were so happy to be in this healing space hosted by this. Wonderful group of black and indigenous women and fans, and then there's this comment about uh, an hour later, oh yeah, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, shit I didn't need it, but I i am happy to be that footnote.
0: Yeah, it's cool when you accidentally get invited to the cookout, not when you think you should be there,
2: pretty much. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, that's basically all I really had to talk about. Um, if you ever want to. Yeah, I'll shoot the shit or whatever. Um, yeah, you should talk.
0: All right, I appreciate you vis uh coming to talk with me so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. Appreciate you too. Talk to you later. Bye. Final thank yous and shout outs that I gotta give to folks. I would really, of course, always like to thank Rain Blankman for making my theme music that I still use. They're really great and we've been friends for a long time. I'll be posting their information in the show notes so that you can look them up. And if you like their music, hear more of what they do. Of course, I gotta give a shout out to Amari because even though she might not be able to be as present with us these days for these episodes, she still helped me kick out and do a lot of the work to start this podcast in the first season. So I'm never going to forget that. And I hope that she's doing well. Our girl is right now trying to become a therapist and a counselor for disadvantaged people. So definitely send good vibes out to her because she's doing the Lord's work right now. And COVID has only made it worse. I would also like to give a final shout out to stories podcast, who has become one of my sponsors recently. And they are one of my Patreon supporters and, uh, Basically, they started doing that because I gave them a shout-out on Twitter for having really good children's stories that also keep me engaged. I was the primary caregiver for my niece and nephew who are both under five last summer, and they really love those podcasts. So for those of you who are cramped at home with little folks during this quarantine time, I definitely suggest checking out that podcast. And I really appreciate them supporting me considering how big their podcast is and how little mine is. So... That again is Stories Podcast. Go check it out.